Well, hello there. Um, it's me again. So, I thought that, um, well, I, I always forget this. I, in February, um, what I generally tend to think of right away is, uh, Valentine's Day. And I have already recorded an, a Valentine's Day special, um, for that, but I always tend to forget that um, February is Black History Month, and um, I don't I don't know that so so well. In fact, that I I almost want to look that up again just to make sure I'm not getting it wrong. Um, now this is something like I believe. We, we would talk about this in school a little bit. Um, mainly, we would celebrate uh, people's, people's birthdays more, like famous people's birthdays more. I remember in particular uh, Martin Luther King, um, his birthday. We would like kind of celebrate that and make a little art thing and hang it up on the wall. Uh, we would do that, but I don't believe, I can't remember, you know, I did, I was kind of in my own little world, um, there were a lot of things I didn't, uh, really pick up on because of my own personal issues, um, which is too, too much to get into detail with that now, but, um, anyway, Martin Luther King Day. I think was to celebrate his birthday and just his accomplishments in general. And um, I always, that was in January though, was the thing. In February, I don't remember if we actually celebrated Black History Month. And that that's kind of weird that I can't remember that because it is um, incredibly important. Um, there are so many things that... Um, people of color have invented I didn't even know like <laughs> I of course I can't say what they are but they're like because I can't remember but um just like everyday things you use in life uh things like that um some of them were invented by black people and that's amazing you know um some something we need to teach our children about and all that definitely but i have a funny little story about martin luther king so <laughs> i first off my my birthday is in january and also um his birthday is in january so as a kid i was always kind of like oh that's neat a famous person has a birthday that's close to mine that's really cool uh but, and I believe we would listen to some of his speeches in class. And um, funny thing is, in grade school, no less, I was still having speech issues. Um, problems pronouncing words. Um, that, that late in the game, I was still having issues with stuff like that. Uh, which is... Um, that's obviously something that is too deep and personal to go into so um but anyway 
he actually taught me how to say the word because. Uh, <laughs> because of the way he said it. He, he had a very... Um, he would pronounce his words in a very clear way. And I didn't always understand just by looking at a word, like, how to pronounce it. So, <laughs> um, I guess in one of his speeches, he just happened to use that word a bunch of times. And I was like, oh, that's how you say because. <laughs> just the weird little things, you know. But um, I was curious. If we go on to Archive of Our Own... Are there actually going to be fanfics that have the tag Black History Month in them? I'm curious. I want to know if we're um, we're including this in our, our fanfiction universe, um, if people are including that. Because a lot of people will take a holiday or, you know, something like that, and they will write fanfiction based off of that. Um, so, yeah, I just want to see if there's anything interesting out there. Okay, so, as always, we have our incognito tab opened to archive of our own. And I didn't happen to find a particular tag for Black History Month. Um, but I did find another tag that's similar. It's, it's just... Um, black character or black characters and um, there's for this tag there are 84 pages of results and this could be anything we're not limiting this or actually we can't limit this by just TV shows um, this could be movies video games whatever so um, I don't know I'm gonna try this out this is all experimental I've never done anything like this before, so I'm going to pick a random number and get right back to you. Okay, so out of 84, the generator actually picked three, so um, that was kind of easy. So we're on page three, and um, keep in mind now, not, not all of these are going to be um, super respectful or maybe not the most serious things in the world, um, I don't know, I don't know. Uh, we could be, we could be stumbling into anything here, so just be, just be forewarned, okay? Um, our first result, Harry Potter and the universe in which Petunia is actually a decent human being by some random Dutch fangirl. When Petunia durst Dursley takes in Harry Potter. She does not expect to love him. He reminds her of her sister and her husband, both freaks from a world so unlike her own that it feels surreal. She takes him in, a boy with black unkempt hair, a lightning scar on his face, and the green eyes of her sister, but she doesn't love him. That is, until she does. Watch out, wizarding world. Petunia is a fierce woman and even fiercer mother. Okay, and then um, this is something new that we're going to do just for this episode. I'm going to include um, in this first result the tags that relate to our 
theme here, which is Black History Month. Um, so in the tags, it says uh, Black Hermione Granger. So that's important for the story. Um, racism. Author is white, so I'd love to hear your opinions and sources to better write people of color characters. Um, and I think what they're trying to say there is um, they, as the author themselves, are white and they don't have the best perspective to write uh, people of color characters. So they're just asking for some advice there. All right, on to our next result. All right, our next one is Your Shadow Stretches On So Long and So I Must Go Farther by Pawn versus Player. They say, oh, how amazing to be a child of Harry Potter's friends, and you're Hermione Granger's kid, and what's being a Weasley like? What do you mean you only have one sibling? They never ask you what being Rose is like, or Rose, Naledi, Granger, Weasley, and co. on growing out of your family's legacy, or Rose is a protective mama bear, Scorpius is an insecure bean, and Albus is an anxious nerd. They're getting by. And in here, our tags of note include Black Hermione Granger once again, uh, and period typical racism. Miles comes out by releasing my insanity. And, um, oh, this is actually a Sesame Street fan fiction. Exactly what it says on the tin, Miles come out, comes out to his three parents, Susan, Gordon, and Bob. Okay, and the tags of note include a point of view character of color, canon character of color, and black male character. Okay, our next one was a podfic, so can't read that one. But the one after that is Lockdown by Dusk Peterson for my readers okay oh this is an original work i didn't i didn't know you could do that um okay uh it says um in quotes and in bold it was like waving a wintergreen stick in the face of a starving man then slowly sucking in it in front of him smiling smugly Having other folks flaunt their winter festival celebrations is bad enough when you're a prisoner locked down for the rest of your life. The only thing worse is having a cellmate who is determined to join the celebrations. And um, the tags of note include characters of color and black characters. Collision by Viper Eyed. Uh, this is another Harry Potter fic. Between a breakup, a complicated case, and having Malfoy waltz in from France to be, his, to be his consultant for mentioned case, Harry doesn't think his life can get any more frustrating. But of course, things can only go up from here. Um, are there any? Yes. Tags of note include Black Hermione Granger, once again. Um, next one, Lost in Japan by Big Fluffy Kitty. Uh, this is an Inuasha, um, fic. A sudden change from modern life to the Sengoku period would be jarring for anyone. Add the fact that she's from America and this is Japan, 
Yeah, a language barrier is due to cause problems, especially with being around an Inudaiokai who probably dislikes humans as much as he dislikes his Hanyo half-brother. Um, okay, let's see. Uh, tags of note include female character of color, African-American character, uh, anything else? Bisexual female character of color. Okay. Next one, Soft Blues and Pinks by Champion Saiyan, another Harry Potter fic. When the three of them returned to school in fourth year, it was astounding beyond measure that the twins resisted the urge to give them nicknames the likes of which Honey Dukes would probably poach them for. Um, tags of note, just uh, Black Hermione Granger and Indian Harry Potter. Okay. Natural Silence by Well Done Becca. Marvel, this is a Marvel Cinematic Universe Black Panther um, fic. Quote, I wanted to ask you a question, he affirmed, leaving the silverware aside, and you did the same. Do you think you're ready? I do. Tags of note include black characters. That's it. Illegitimate by I Forgot to Call, uh, another Harry Potter fic. Draco Malfoy discovers his parentage and pure blood status isn't as accurate as he thought. His ensuing blood disorder further calls into question everything he's ever known. Hermione Granger is looking for her big break, and Draco is going to give it to, to her, whether she likes it or not. Let's see what's in the tags here. Um, do, do, do. Black Hermione Granger. Uh, okay, I don't see anything else. All right. The New Marauders and the Philosopher's Stone by Moondust Yiki Soul or Silkstream246. Another Harry Potter fanfic. Oh, and it's a crossover of Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. Wait, no, sorry. I think that's the same thing. Actually, I apologize. I am a millennial who does not know much about Harry Potter. I know. Incredibly shocking. Um, this is due to me being sheltered. That's it. End of story. Um, really nothing else to say. It's not that I don't like it. It's not that I really like it. Um, I remember actually seeing the very first movie. We had a VHS copy of it. That's how long ago that was. And I liked the movie. Um, and then my parents just never bothered to, uh, rent or buy any of the other movies or go see any of the other movies. So, uh, that was it for me. Anyway, um, what is this about? This, this year, this, it's year one, everyone smiles. Don't hate me, please. In the tags, what do we have in the tags? Do, do, do. Black Hermione Granger, Indian Harry Potter. Okay. Stress Relief by Melanin Latina. Um, this is a BTS uh, fic. Juni is stressed from class, so he comes over from some much-needed stress relief. A slash N 
colon, this features a black woman as the unnamed OC. Anyone is welcome to read, but if it makes you uncomfortable or uninterested, don't read and comment uh, dumb shit. Go do something productive with your life, LMAO. And the uh, tags of note include black characters, female character of color, um, and that's it. Okay. Next, To Carry On by Sequa. Uh, this is a Suicide Squad fic. Floyd's got one goal. Catch Rick up on some masterpieces in their film. In film. Their night is interrupted by an unexpected guest. Tags include uh, black characters, interracial relationship. Cool. Oh, next one is a pod fic. We can't read that. Um, Unfurling by Templorandom. Uh, the Last Kingdom TV uh, fic. Rosie and Osforth are studying at the same university and are now living together. When she meets his friends, a new world opens up for her. Um, what's in our tags here? Do, 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 do. People of color characters. Um, black characters. Okay. Rainy Afternoon by Love Fandoms 828. Uh, this is a Black Mirror fic. All he could hear was that rain outside. It wasn't cold as he felt his lover's affectionate touch. Uh, tags of note include black characters. Um, that's, that's it. Okay. Thoughts and Feelings by Love Fandoms 828. Another Black Mirror fic. Love isn't a lie. That's, that's all the description we get there. And then um, in the tags, it says... Hmm. Maybe... Yes, black characters. Okay. That's it. I was just missing it. All right. Almost There by Writing Like I'll Die. Um, say Miraculous Ladybug Thick. I'm not sure what that is. I don't know if that's a TV show or a movie. I have no idea. Oh, okay. This explains why I didn't know it's it's actually a uh, kids animated TV show uh, from 2015. Marionette seems to be a normal teenage girl. She dreams of becoming a fashion designer, is a bit awkward, and has a crush on a classmate. But she has a secret other teenagers don't have. She lives a double life as a crime-fighting superhero known as Ladybug. She uses her superpowers to protect her native Paris from supervillain Hawk Moth. She is assist assisted reluctantly by fellow hero Cat Noir, even though she insists she doesn't need him, a stance she might not take if she knew his alter ego is her crush, Adrian. Together, Ladybug and Cat Noir help keep Paris safe from Hawk Moth and other villains. Okay, now let's go back to Archive of Our Own. This miraculous Ladybug fan fiction uh, called Almost There by, by Writing Like I'll Die. Inktober Day 2, Wisp. Ashley's father worked hard to give her a comfortable life. 
Ashley's going to work even harder to return the favor. From a nowhere town of, to City of Lights, she'll make her a name for herself. She'll make a name for herself, even if she has to carve it out with her bare hands. All to make sure her papa knows that his sacrifices weren't in vain. In the tags, it says, Black characters, period, typical racism, and just racism. Next, we have Graffiti by Dripping Sauce 3. And this is a Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse uh, fic. The narrator befriends Miles Morales after the latter saves him from distress under his Spider-Man identity. It is implied that he is aware of them being one or the other and eventually falls for him. Unfortunately, there are both they are both conflicted about their love for each other, especially since Miles is a latent homosexual. And in the tags, it says, black male character. Um, that's it. Okay. And our last result is, There is a Light That Never Goes Out by Pame Diplom. This is a Harry Potter fic. Um, October 31st, 2004. A series of moments, the final 24 hours of the lives of James and Lily Potter. In the tags, it says, Black James Potter, Black Harry Potter, People of Color James Potter, People of Color Harry Potter. Okay, so out of this, we're going to pick a random number, and I'll get right back to you. All right, here we go. Our very first story is number 13, To Carry On by Sequa. Author's Notes. Many thanks to Moriavis for betting. And if you forgot, this is a Suicide Squad fic. Uh, the rating is for general audiences. It's M slash M. And yeah. Um, it has black characters in it and interracial, sorry, <laughs> interracial relationship. They'd reached another one of Floyd's favorite scenes in the movie, where Vera was about to pull out the razor to f to fuck quick up. I think they meant to say to fuck shit up. Floyd jabbed Rick with his elbow. You awake? You better be awake, because if you miss this, we through. Rick let out the same sigh he'd been exhaling each time. Floyd started in on him. I'm awake. You don't have to shove me to figure that out. Floyd laughed but directed Rick's attention back to the screen. Now pay attention. The doorbell rang. Rick stiffened beside him and Floyd froze too. This late at night, they weren't expecting company and no good company ever showed up past midnight. He and Rick shared a look, Rick looking grim, his mouth set in a frown that Floyd hadn't seen since they'd earned their tenuous freedom from Waller's task force. Tonight was supposed to be a quiet Saturday when Floyd could catch Rick up on as much classic black cinema as possible, specifically those movies that weren't appropriate for Zoe to watch yet. This prime cinematic moment was getting interrupted by someone at the door. Rick pulled away out of the cradle of Floyd's arm and Floyd straight up vaulted over the back of the couch, sprinting to the bedroom to get the gr Glock that they technically didn't own from the safe in the closet. 
He slammed home the clip, tucked another clip in his pocket, and advanced slowly toward the living room, keeping his ear his eyes and ears peeled for any bullshit, particularly a SWAT team busting through windows kind of bullshit. When he reached the living room, he spotted Rick crouched below the window nearest the door. Rick turned to make eye contact and held up one finger, but neither one of them could trust that there was only one person out there. Floyd nodded and hunched down behind the couch, taking aim at the door, keeping the kitchen in his periphery too. If shit got too heavy, they had to escape had an escape route and bug out bags. But the longer this took to pop off, the more Floyd worried that what waited for them was a legit squad who tracked every route he and Rick could take out of here. The doorbell sounded again as Rick carefully lifted the curtain. He blew out a breath that almost sounded disgusted. Maybe it was, because Rick shook his head and stood. You're never going to guess who it is. Floyd frowned, but didn't lower the glock as Rick walked to the door. Waylon. Waylon. Sorry. That was a hard name for me to say. Rick shot him an exasperated look, and Floyd shrugged. Wait, he narrowed his eyes on the door. Don't tell me. It's that racist mother... It's Harley, Rick said, and opened the door. And there she was with her pigtails, one half dyed a bright-ass pink, and the other dyed neon blue. She whirled around to face them, throwing up one arm, showing all teeth with her manic grin. Ta-da! It's the one and only boys. Floyd took his finger off the trigger and slowly rose, taking two steps to the left to scope out the street behind her. She didn't immediately spot... He didn't immediately spot her uglier, crazier half from this distance, but they could never be too safe, and Harley showing up unannounced was never good news. Floyd was just grateful she'd chosen a weekend that he didn't have Zoe. Not a mess that he wanted to try and explain, though Floyd was pretty sure Zoe wouldn't would have been as chill about this as she'd been with his former career as an assassin for hire. Still not something he would ever risk. It's just me, myself, and I, Harley said, giggling as she lowered her arm, setting her hand on her hip. They all say hi. She winked at Rick, who squeezed his eyes shut, pinched the bridge of his nose. You've got, you've got any idea what time it is? He dropped his hand and stared at her. No, of fucking course not. Like you don't know how much shit you're putting us in by, he gestured broadly and then looked at Floyd. We talked about this, Harley. Boundaries, remember? Floyd said, glancing behind her again to make sure no one was trying to take advantage of this somewhat awkward situation. Fortunately, Floyd didn't have nosy-ass white neighbors trying to get all up in their business. Harley nodded, smile fading. I know, and I didn't forget, okay? I. She wrapped her arms around herself, glancing over her shoulder before turning to look at them with a sm smaller, softer smile. Can I come in, please, pretty please, with cherry bombs on top? Rick looked like he was going to explode again, but Floyd took a moment to look at her. Not the wild-ass clothes she wore to hide behind or all the makeup and tats 
He looked at how she held herself, both hands wrapped tightly around her upper arms like she was cold, even though tonight was a balmy 80 degrees. Her smile turned tight at the edges as she darted a look left and right, digging her fingers into her own skin. It was like she'd been watching her back the whole way here. Floyd hoped she had. He only wanted one surprise tonight. Who's after you? he asked. She looked at him, but then shook her head so hard that her pigtails whipped back and forth. It's not Mr. J, if that's what you're thinking. It's not anyone. I just need a place, you know, somewhere to lie low a while. Why not Ivy's? Rick asked. He had a point. Floyd arched his eyebrow to share the sentiment. Harley bared her teeth in answer. Eyes narrowed. The bats got her, she snarled. And she didn't even do nothing this time. Floyd bit back a laugh as he watched Rick open his mouth shut shut it and gave up on making any kind of sense of this situation. Floyd understood where Harley was coming from, though. The bats lived to fuck up a good day. Okay, Floyd said, but held up one held up a hand when Harley beamed a smile. One night and we aren't gonna help you bust Ivy out. Harley's face fell, shoulders drooped dropping as she kicked the door jam. You're no fun anymore, Floyd. Probably cause I've settled down, Floyd said, and shot a smile at Rick, whose expression softened just before he averted his eyes. Probably so Harley wouldn't see. Floyd stepped aside and Harley skipped inside the house. Oh, it's perfect. Rick shut the door and tapped Floyd's arm. He waited for Floyd to turn around before he gently grabbed hold of Floyd's arm. This is a bad idea, he murmured. With Harley? Floyd snorted. It always is. He grinned when Rick scowled. You're the one who fell in with a criminal. X. Floyd laughed at how Rick always emphasized, emphasized that word. Always the same way, with his jaw set. Maybe you, maybe to you, but not to everybody. Rick's fingers tightened on Floyd's arm, gaze intensifying when he took a step forward. Floyd consented with a small nod, and Rick rushed in, kissing him rough and quick. I don't give a shit about anybody else, he said. Floyd laughed, just a soft huff of sound as he cupped the back of Rick's neck, gently, squeezing gently to draw Rick in for another kiss. Come on, let's finish this movie. Rick nodded, still wearing that look of single-minded determination, and Floyd returned the Glock and clips to the safe. When he came back to the living room, he took one look at Harley on the sofa, dressed in one of Rick's gray hoodies and a pair of Floyd's green sweatpants, holding a bowl of popcorn. He hoped she'd pulled those clothes from the dryer, but he raised an eyebrow at Rick. Rick mouthed, who the fuck knows, and shrugged. The bastard had also taken the other end of the couch, which meant Floyd would either have to take the middle seat or move to the love seat and watch the movie at an angle. Floyd sat in the middle, but leaned right up into Rick's space, fully intending to use him as a pillow as payback. So what you watching? Harley asked, staring wide-eyed at the screen as she dramatically chucked a, a handful of popcorn. Floyd grinned and scooped up the remote. A cinematic classic, he said, and restarted the movie. Um, wow. There's a ton of kudos on this and 15 comments. History is culture, says more soon please, 
Author responds, thanks, I'm working on a couple of stories so soonish. TL says, interesting dynamic between Floyd and Rick. I am curious to know more. Thanks. Author responds, thank you. I just wanted some happy domestic inter, sorry, indeterminate future with for them. So there will probably be more one-shots of this loosely strung together series. TL responds, well, it is wonderfully done, well done. I'll be waiting to read more. Thanks. Rebl93 says, Loving this series so far, it's just what we all need. Some future fluff full of family, fun, and fornication. Lil, thanks for sharing. With love, R. Author responds, thank you so much. Yep, that's exactly what I was feeling. Just hand-wavy, happy future. Okay. This was... Oh, sorry. Account deleted says, this was fucking amazing, okay? Wow, thank you for writing this. Author responds, he... Thank you so much for reading and commenting. Tarina, um, she is quoting the story here and then says, The way Rick is just so quietly and desperately in love with Floyd, and the way Floyd is so easily, so is so easy and assuring with him, always makes my heart flutter. They are so good together, and I just adore how you write them. Author responds, Ye, uh, that's exactly how I it feels every time I write it, it's so, I'm so glad you picked up on it. Thanks so much for reading and commenting. He. So, so mine Uet, or Chokuan, says the year is 2017 and I am still waiting for you to continue this fic. Author responds, happy new year. I'm afraid with work and just life in general. I haven't had much time to write, but the series is complete in so far and I'm just making up little scenes when I'm inspired to write and a little bit of happiness between these two grumpy ass dudes. Thanks so much for reading. Apple Fritter, oh my gosh, they wrote a book. Um, they say, apparently I left kudos already, but there's no review. Floyd jabbed Rick with his elbow. Oh, they're... Okay, they're, okay, this is like, they have, um, okay, wow, they have one, two, three, four, four different quotes from the story, and then under that they have their commentary, which is, poor Rick, lol, was Waylon really visited before, now I want to read with how they interact other Waylon, that last comment was for Digger? I like her answer. Also, pretty sure that Zoe would really be totally chill. Oh, oh, there's there's plenty more things that they quoted from the story, and then they put their commentary underneath. Um, yeah, there's that. Author responds. He, yep, totes a reference to Digger there. Haha. <laughs> I also believe Zoe would be chill. She's the chillest kid. This was fun to write. I'm so glad you enjoyed. Thanks so much for reading. Okay, so that's our first story down. What's our next one going to be? It is number 19. Okay. Uh, this is Graffiti by Dipping Sauce 3. And this is a Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse 2018 fic. Uh, teen and Up rating and M slash M. 
Author's notes, I believe this has been the first poem ever written primarily on Miles Morales. It is not the best written poem you will ever read, but if you may, give it a chance. Oh, I had no idea this was a poem. Okay. Part 1, Limerence. Stark silhouette of bravery, swinging through in a hurry, a psychedelic fiery blurry, who blends in well in the city scurry, beneath the arachnic costume, hides a boy very much handsome, of dowry hair delicately groomed, that my fingertips lovingly strum. The first time I watched you, instantly had me attached to goo. Then you rescued me, my hero. This I envisaged due to your aura glow. Spray your thoughts in graffiti. Never get held back by the pity. Haunting your consciousness, sweetie. Beware getting ensnarled by piety? Okay. Some of these words I'm not going to be great at saying, so... Conjured here in the city, immortalized in everything gritty, these feelings might have betrayed you. Alas, they surely have made you. Felt that firm grasp, <clears throat> sorry, followed shortly by a gasp. Hoped you enjoyed that land with those words we befriended, that fluorescent smile and my pronunciation of your name, Miles. Well, something complex developed, rendering my senses corrupted. To you, I had confronted about this sentiment. You just stood there, stunted, flippant words you then vented. Just face the facts, displace these acts. Her hair did wave in your direction, but it directed only to rejection. Express with graffiti your emotions into an urban treaty. Conflict in a masterpiece helps you find some peace. Part 2. Consequence Confined in the corner of your lies, sitting motionlessly you wait to die, rather than to simply admit the whizzing answer that bit, recall that Saturnine instance, how we accidentally grazed hands, a tender look gave me consolation, would you finally spill out a confession? However, you dismissed it outright, abandoned to be sunken in the night, while you returned me back safely, where I implored for the answer you never gave me. Questions arose, arose over my sexuality. You treated me as if a casual, casualty, hurling more aspirations my way that drive this enamorment away. Your house I admire from afar, although the windows are marred. I recoil seeing you with her simpering. How can you keep living after everything? Because only you catalyzed whatever released my cries, derailing our beautiful friendship, sending it crashing onto the landing strip. I before thought of you as heroic. Now die. Sorry, wow. Nowadays, your image makes me stoic. Every little jubilant feeling that you arose lies dormant at your feet below each of the burrows. Why this torture, this penance, to portray yourself as villainous? 
when that tight-lipped scowl at my dominion once let out a howl, and you fetted me, I see it in your graffiti, because although you allegedly hate me, my likeness emblazons your mutual built pretty. Sorry, your mural built pretty. Presently, you've forbidden me from trespass of your chain-link fence of intimacy. My pride shudders to the floor in pieces of glass, alongside inflicting cuts upon a flower sprouting in the concrete. As I admire your ground-breaking graffiti, in the horizon you appear swinging by, likely about to come to the aid of the needy, those with legal problems, but not to identify like mine. Author's notes for anyone reading this as of October 2019, I have edited this poem for revision purposes. Furthermore, I have made some additional changes as of April 2020. Oh, wow. There's no comments on this and eight kudos. Okay, our next one is number 10 which happens to be illegitimate by I Forgot to Call. This is a teen and up rating, F slash M, and it's a Harry Potter uh, fan fiction. And um, this is, um, in the tags here, we have, um, we have Black Hermione Granger and Mentioned Narcissa Black Malfoy. Okay. Yes, that's it. And author's notes. Thank you so much, Curly K, for being a great alpha. You really helped me ground my ideas when I wasn't sure where to go with it. You have been a great first alpha. Thank you so much, uh, M. Rose and Anastasia, for being amazing bettas. I couldn't always see my own mistakes and needed your pair of eyes. You've been an amazing first beta, smiley face. In the immortal words of Joshua Wiseman, let's do this, shall we? Chapter 1, Conception Draco Malfoy discovers that his personal history isn't as pure as he was led to believe. Hermione Granger is looking for a new challenge. Crookshanks just wants to groom in relative peace and comfort. His favorite season has always been summer. He enjoyed the feeling of the rapid drop in temperature when the sun went down. Heat trapped in between, sorry, heat trapped in the ground rose to meet his heels as the cool night breeze swept his winter fine hair about his face. The contrast in sensations, his warm feet versus the chill licking at his upper half made a shudder crawl up his spine. It reminded him of his mother's consistently warm arms, rocking him gently while the house elves fanned them under a shady tree. It was a midsummer night, but it had rained all weekend, and there was no such sensation tickling his skin. He was dressed in classically tasteful dress robes of the softest silk, but he still felt pinned down and tucked in as if wearing a winter parka. His eyes scanned over the assorted guests and accepted that only he was feeling such discomfort. 
The invited and uninvited guests, yes, Rita, you're not fooling anyone, and that ridiculous excuse for a disguise, all appeared content and enviously cool in their finery. Stop scowling. You're frightening the ladies. Draco immediately rearranged his features into dignified boredom. His standard uniform. He looked over at his father, who nodded imperceptibly to indicate that his son's visage was once again acceptable. Draco held back a sneer. He had never detested his parents more than he did in this moment. He practically still had milk on his breath, and there, and here he was getting married to some Bulgarian rhinoceros in the name of social awakening, which was really code, a code word for finding the richest and most influential blood trader with international political clout. His father had reminded him just before tying Draco's cravat entirely too tightly that such a meager would solidify the Malfoy's international holdings for generations to come. Draco had pushed his father's hand away and threw the cravat on the marble floor before storming of it of to have a F word on the balcony. Oh, yes, okay, meaning cigarette. It's the other word for cigarette, basically, but I'm not going to say that. He accepted being a political pawn in his father's never-ending quest for dominance, but he refused to admit it. If he continued to be contrary, then no one would suspect that he'd chosen this life and this obligation. He had hundreds of little scars to remind him that a shackled life was better than no life at all. His father hissed in his ear again, bringing Draco back to the present. Apparently, he had been scowling again. He used to be such a wonderful little actor, and he wondered where that version of himself had slipped off to. He shook himself again like a waking cat and firmly and fully placed his best public face. He graced the gathered guests with a winning smile that seemed to appease everyone in attendance before he could rub his practice, sorry, practice to died charm i i have no idea what that word is sorry his charm in his father's face the wedding music queued up the sun was setting heroically behind the tall hedges that circled the malfoy estate which provided a warm glow to the brunette bride floating down the long aisle in a move that only appeared socially progressive The bride donned a muggle-style wedding dress with a cathedral-length veil that was suspended off the ground by magically conjured white geese that honked in time with the wedding music. Naturally, the geese were all sporting little top hats that made their affair simultaneously ridiculous, infinitely more interesting than the boring girl coming towards him. It was peak absurdity. The bride's hair was twisted up rather elegantly if Draco were being honest with himself, and her makeup was appropriately subdued for their previous from their previous encounters. No, there was nothing inherently amiss with his intended. She was no better or worse than any other girl his father could have chosen, so he truly had nothing to complain about. It was being a force-fed duck 
on his father's elite table that shook Draco's soul. He'd never recovered from his father's previous plots at continuing on in the hollowed Malfoy style. To this day, Draco could not spot any reptilian creature without going completely limp, limp-kneed. All too quickly, the honking bridal party ended their song as the bride's elegant foot hit the, the dais. Vladimira was a passably pretty girl with thick features that emanated her father's a bit too much for Draco's taste. Sorry, emulated. She spoke more English than she'd ever let on, which may have been the only thing he actually admired. She was achingly dull with little interest in anything not completely surrounding charity work. Obviously, his mother adored her and couldn't possibly imagine Draco's total disdain for the heavy-handed creature. He knew, he knew upon sitting down to dinner with her for the first time that he could never grow to like her. She chewed her chicken as though it had been her personal companion that deserved all the tender care and respect of such a person. She took tiringly small bites of her fabulously prepared roasted meat, meat and chewed on it with a determined determination of an old mule. She took no wine and refrained from doing any host of illicit drugs. She was a boring stop-all, and he'd have no part in getting to know her further. Well, not until the moment his father forced him to marry her or conversely throw Draco's inheritance to some owl charity or other such idiocy idiocy for being disobedient. His bride was holding out her hand to him, and he took it with practiced care. She smiled at him with her full teeth, and he could see his mother simpering and sniffling from the corner of his eyes. Bloody hell, what a peacock festival. He nodded with composed grace at his bride before landing, sorry, leading her toward the center of the raised platform adorned with enchanted roses and ivy. The officiant, a man who, remain, who reminded him of a toad after a drought, had the wooden binding beads in both hands. The officiant gestured for the two of them to clasp hands together, which they did immediately. Draco noticed as the man wound the beads around their wrists that the officiant's flabby neck bulged and retracted with every breath like a scaly balloon inflating and deflating in an endless grotesque cycle. A small giggle brought his attention fully and finally on his bride. She was also shifting her attention from their clasped hands and the officiant. While the min- minister turned to put on his m- metal bifocals, his bride made a ribbit sound so slight that even a floating cat hair could have made off with it in the wind. She flicked her dark eyes up to him, and he found a sly smile on her face, twining his own. Twinning his own. He squeezed her hands with a fraction of his available strength, and he saw with her eyes widened prettily before she squeezed his hands in return. The ceremony officially cleared his his throat, bringing the assembly to his attention. He unfurled a short scroll that was crumbling with age. I am here on behalf of the Ministry of Magic, and have been given appropriate authority to officiate these proceedings. 
I take this office quite seriously and have the honor to pronounce all lawful marriages validated. The efficient's voice was croaking and raspy, which Draco supposed went well with his bloated chin fat. The officiant cleared his throat again as he turned his attention to the scroll, his preamble now sufficiently ex executed. I will now initiate the blessings of the dragon hands, which will seal the binding between these two souls in the tradition set by Acacius Malfoy. Sorry. I shall begin now. The man swept his bulbous eyes across the gathered crowd to ensure that he had properly spun the suspense. The hands you now hold will this day forward be as dear to you as your own limbs. These are the strong hands that will hold you today, tomorrow, and beyond. These are the hands that will sweep away your sorrow, and Draco allowed the man's voice to float just past his mind's eye as he staunchly ignored the ceremony. He felt a longing for those material worlds words to beat inside his own heart in such a way that his intended would feel the pattern in her own thumping chest. Simply he wished he was getting married today with a woman he loved. Vladimir was smiling, smiling lightly with blushing cheeks, but her heart seemed to be pitter-pattering as normally as it ever did. He could feel the calmness in her body as he felt her slow, collected pulse and cool in her cool, dry hands. She cared as little about this wedding as he did. Draco mentally shed that silver-tongued thought from his mind and refocused his attention on the officiant sealing his unhappy fate. It would do no good to get into strop because his bride didn't want him either. You shall be as one soul split between two vessels. The purity of your, your bonded blood will continue in the dynasty of power that has propagated for over ten consecutive generations in the Malfoy family. If you both accept this blessing, please repeat. Oh my god. This is, this, this is Latin words. As one. Dutifully, he repeated. Latin words. <laughs> I'm not even going to say that. The sun had been laminating his robes to his sweat-slick skin for the better part of an hour. He had felt stifled around the collar as the marriage noose tightened around his delicate throat, but now he felt too breezy, as though one shake of a tree branch would carry him away. This feeling was coupled with the inability to finish his prayer the French binding words stuck in his throat. Oh, sorry, maybe they're French words. It was as if the world around him was grounded and tangible, but he was a bubble flying higher and higher into the atmosphere until he popped. Draco only realized that his lightweight feeling was outwardly observable when he heard the prim and proper garden ladies shrilly crying and heaving unbecomingly while their husbands held their own handkerchiefs to their noses in curious disgust. It was only when his father yanked Draco into his arms while, apparent, while appar, apparating them away did Draco notice that he was bleeding from every orifice. His blood-spattered bride had fainted dead away. His last glimpse of the assembled party showed the bride's family stalled in abject horror, 
while his poor mother clutched her chest in an in unspeakable fear. Draco himself was unsuitably calm as he finally acknowledged his body was flushing out his blood like a gothic fountain. Hours later, Draco found himself fighting the sleeping potion his father snuck into his drink while trying to untangle the web of events that led him to this state. The minimal information he'd pulled from his father was already starting to vanish from his mind. Draco knew that he that what he'd learned was vitally important, that he desperately tried to recall the memories like a man ablaze searching for water. He suspected that the sleeping potion did more than just knock him unconscious. Hours earlier, his mother, the woman who once lied directly to the Dark Lord's face, was an unassuming, with an unassuming small smile, was now crying hysterically. The sight was so foreign and unnatural that Draco simply stared at her in bemused shock. From the corner of his eye, he could see his father sitting like an old willow tree, taking root into new savage ground. His presence was monumental and ravaging. His father had the towering fervor about his tight jaw that could make Dra Draco drop to his knees and beg for allegiance. His father was more dynamic and domineering than the Dark Lord was on his best days. His father was silent and thinking, and that within him itself was an unbelievably dangerous thing. Globby, his father whispered, although his soft voice was sharp enough to cut stone. The small house elf appeared with an equally subdued pop. His father did not turn to acknowledge the hunkering creature by his knee and spoke into his wine glass instead. Take your mis mistress into her private quarters with a strong dose of her calming teas. You know the ones. The elf nodded and took his mistress' impossibly soft hand in his rough one and disappeared as quietly as he had arrived. Still staring darkly into his goblet, Lucius addressed his boy. His father's voice was thick and silky with alcohol. You are my hair, or heir. You have the cleanest blood I can produce. I, sorry, I can procure. You are mine. The subdued pops of fire sparking in the fireplace was the only light in the room. Father and son sat plastered to their seats while they listened to hissing and crackling f flame behind them. Soon the heat of the fire began scorching the cold tension between them until Draco could sit no longer. He stood and began pacing across the room. He was a trapped cougar waiting to be released. His father said no more. Draco bit back, the stinging snarl licking at his lips. His father's declaration rocked him of orbit, off orbit. He was prepared to hear a multitude of explanations, but this was a bomb he didn't know he'd triggered. He stood taut like a bowstring waiting for the anvil to fall. Your mother and I had four miscarriages before you. We were desperate for an heir, so much that we sought out the muggles to assist us after every magical avenue had been exhausted. His father trailed off and his eyes looked blown and wild like they were during the last months of Voldemort's reign. We discovered that she and I were both infertile. Look, look at Luce, oh my god, what's happening? 
Lucius whispered the last few words as though afraid that he spoke any louder. The truth would take flight and spread its hateful wings about all of Europe so that everyone could gawk at Lucius' private shame. Draco was less surprised by this revolting revelation than his father would have expected. The fertility challenges amongst purebloods was the worst kept secret in all of the seven wizarding continents of the world. Continents of the world. Wow. I really struggled with that. Volume after volume in the dingiest corner of private libraries were filled to the hilt with such information. However, the implications for his own personage was astounding. What am I? His voice came out like a buried trunk dug up from the murkiest depths of the Black Sea. You are my son. Draco flinched at the ice wedge skewering his father's tone. It was the tone his father often had when Draco was a boy, still testing the limits of his father's patience. Biologically, as the muggles say, you are my child. I certainly paid enough for that to be so. The young wizard had never in his life felt as unassured as he was at this moment. His father was weaving one of his many webs that left the recipient arse backwards and apologizing for having been stepped on. Draco was snapped from his internal review by a commotion on the floor above his own. He heard a shattering clatter of thin, breakable items and a tangle of half-whispered apologies and the distinct sound of several house elves punishing yes punishing their heads against plaster walls he still lay prone atop his bed with his soft calfskin dress shoes still hovering over the bed skirt and rumpled robes swimming above his person about his person he heard his mother's screams echoing like the clapped hooves of a clan of unicorns and the not quite sound of his father's stocking feet hastily padding across his mother's room rooms the feedback sonata strummed between his mother's cries and his father's pacing was the lullaby that used to rock him to sleep as a boy now it made him dig his sharp teeth into his cheeks draco awoke with blood still coating his nostrils and mouth he spat frantically frantically into the marble floor onto the marble floor without caring He stopped suddenly and looked at the red smears covering the white and black marble. The blood made speckled patterns on the floor that put him in the mind of the blood that put him in the mind of the blood coating the dining room floor as his father stammered to the dark lord to please spare his only child. His mind then dove into the less distant past and Passed, and he had the, to hold his head in his palms to keep from swaying. His father's wine, fractured confessions, peppered his waking mind into oblivion. He slept again, forgetting the words he knew were important. Okay, there's a little bit more left of this. Draco did not wake normally so much as he crashed into consciousness. His feet were pounded, pounding on the floor before his mind fully calculated the proper mechanics of standing upright. He fell into a heap 
of red-stained robes and wet blood, red saliva that he only somewhat remembered spitting onto the floor that night before. He dropped his head into his palms as the tangy aroma of copper swathed him like a quilt. The smell grew more pungent as he breathed in deeply until he found his nostrils clogged and sticky. His hand rubbed angrily at his nose and he and as he pulled his fingers away he saw the blood smearing his wrist before he could rationalize it draco was stumbling into his walk in wardrobe before collapsing before his charmed mirror never has blood dripped so elegantly onto an ensemble as it does for you master draco the mirror chirped cheerfully draco approached the mirror with blossoming tremors his shaking hand jabbed at the mirror until the sheet cracked under his knuckle. The happy mirror's voice jutted and sputtered as it frantically continued to shower Draco in glowing praise. Draco pulled his hand back to his chest as he stared at his millions of bloody reflections gazing back at him. Each crack in the glass reminded him of the deep oozing gash his crisscrossing his chest years ago in the boy's lab. He turned away from the mirror as his body trembled. His neck was suddenly too fragile to hold up his head, causing him to hit his skull on the stone floor. A small leaking sound escaped his mouth before everything went dark. He doubted like he had all those years ago in the perfect in the perfect's bathroom that anyone would run to save him. The smell of vinegar-soaked gauze and licorice-sweet potions swaddled his nose. The second sensation that came to him was the knocking against a far-off wall and the agitated whispers of medi-wizards calming either a spamming, spasming human or a very spas spastic thestral. In his mind's eye, he scowled evilly. How dare the medi-wizards not control their patients? Clearly, he was in St. Mungo's, where adequate professionalism was woefully la- wait. St. Mungo's, his eyes snapped open as, fully, as full awareness grabbed at his befuddled mind. His gaze was met with complete darkness, save for a sliver of light peeking out from under the closed door directly in front of him. Being a young man of certain means, Draco was not completely unused to waking up in strange places, with even stranger people intertwined with his person. However, the thick straps woven over his upper body and the unforgivably stiff mattress underneath him signaled a less than pleasurable turn of events. Before he could fully stop himself, he began thrashing against the restraints on his body like a plebeian. Wasn't this the very same behavior that had awoken him only moments ago? He did not have long to contemplate his actions as the darkened color ahead of him swung open. Sorry, as, as the darkened door ahead of him swung open with restrained enthusiasm. Before he could open his mouth to respond in a way that would be completely inappropriate for the occasion, a school of healers swam into his unidentified room. They threw spells at him like battle-worn soldiers, and the air in the room crackled with the brashness of their combined magic. An older woman, who somehow looked 
like both a baby mandrake and a poodle, simultaneously appeared to, to inspect the chaos the other healers were causing with calm irritation. She barked at the others, who immediately shrank back at the shrill tongue lashing. She parted the crowd like a queen and glided over to Draco. He liked he looked at her with all the aristocratic disdain that was physically available to him. I presume you are in charge of this capable crew. She raised an eyebrow that could rival his own. She she brushed aside his question without comment. I am healer alone. I am pleased to see that your mental facilities seem to be in order. Your condition seems to have stabilized over the evening. Indeed, he drawled. Might I inquire as to why I am strapped to this bed like a rabid dog? Because you behaved like an unhinged beast when you were admitted. The room seemed to echo her last words uncomfortably, and Draco, too shocked to respond, looked at her in genuine confusion. The healer cleared her liver-spotted throat before snapping her wand out of her sleeve like a whip. Now then, I have unfortunate news to deliver to you, and I suppose she paused while pursing her lips in his general direction that now is as good a time as any. Do go on. The weight is truly scintillating. Draco put his fists under his chin and batted his eyes prettily, determined to have the last laugh. Healer alone smiled darkly before widening her stance. She, her supported healers looked nervously between the two, wondering who this battle of words would kill first. Mr. Malfoy, I have the true displeasure to inform you that you are suffering from an unknown ailment. Your blood appears to be to want to leave your bodily presence as eagerly as I do. We have managed to put your blood letting to in stasis. You unprofessional hag, my, your father will hear of this, another attending healer whispered from somewhere in the accumulated crowd. Draco swiveled his head around to catch the offending idiot, but found that he, but, whoa, but found that the supporting healers all held tight professional expressions as they closed ranks. Healer alone scrunched her nose at the comment, but did not speak on. He held himself from grumbling that was not what he was going to say. He wasn't eleven for Merlin's sake. Sir, as I was saying, the stasis has momentarily held your blood inside your body like a stopper of sorts, that within itself is a temporary solution to whatever affliction is causing this display. We have recently discovered that keeping your blood inside may be even more dangerous than letting it flow. To put it simply, your blood is now poisoning your body. I can only assume that your body was attempting to throw out this bad blood when you had your first event. Draco was stunned speechless for the second time in a short matter of time. Bad blood? What a ridiculous proposition. They couldn't actually be serious. He scanned the crowd and saw that all the healers now wore the clinically detached version of pity. He wanted to spit their pity back in their faces. You need specialists to patch up this problem. Send for whoever, whomever you need. I can assure you that money is not a concern. We have already dispatched some medical experts. Your father has already paid their fees. However, that may not be enough. 
I must tell you that your body may shut down before we can discover a safe cure. Then give me an unsafe one. I don't care. That is enough, Draco. Draco heard his father's silvered-tinged voice at the door. Please allow me a moment with my child. He's overexcited. The healers filed out silently, except healer alone. She walked fluidly over to Draco, as if to inspect some reading above his head. She scooted into his personal space, while flourishing intricate spirals into the air, watching as the readings changed to his most up-to-date vitals. She did not look at him, and he could not even be sure if she even moved her lips. But he heard her harsh staccato whispering to him, Your father would not allow me to call you to allow me to call the one who ex sorry. Your father would not allow me to call the one expert who may have a chance in hell of helping you. If you're anything more than a blood loving fool, Owl Hermione Granger. In the next breath she was gone. His father looked after the woman as she swept past. He looked at Draco with a tight nod before commanding, Get some sleep, son. You've had enough to say for one day, before following in the healer's footsteps and sweeping away as if never really there. His father blew out the candlelights as he went leaving Draco in complete silent darkness. He sat quietly for a moment, listening to the soft feet shuffling in front of his door. The quiet whisper, whispers of wizards discussing hopeless patients and the summoning of family members creeped under the slit of his door. Quietly, so quietly, did the thought sing into his mind, This is the ward for the nearly dead and soon to be dying. Welcome to the end, Draco. His room was instantaneously too large as the soft cries and pitiful tears spilling underneath his closed door splattered about every surface like congealed blood. The sterile walls began inching towards him while silently slipping a jagged rope around his neck. He could no longer breathe. With a quickness that his body was not ready to exhibit, Draco threw off his medically standard bedding and stumbled towards the small, draped window to his left, almost losing his footing several times. He pulled away the draping before clawing at the latch, clawing the latch open. He popped his head through the opening and began wheezing in, in pure night air. He clapped his hands over his mouth after he heard the first stuttered cry tumble from his mouth to the wind. Below him, well beneath his 11th floor window, Healer alone was creeping along the back gate of the hospital. The Healer cons constantly looked about her, although she had already cast a notice me not. The healer's breath came out in short, labored puffs that would have been unheard in her younger days. The sharp pain shoot shooting up her backside was a further reminder that she was almost at the end of her strength. It was time to retire and let the girl fully take over her spot. The old healer noticed that even her temper was stretching too thin these days, and her authoritarian grip too loose. Ten years ago, no subordinate would have dared pull a stunt like that in the Death Eater's room, even if Alum could barely stand his pig-headed presence herself. Soon her thoughts were backed against the gate that's, that she'd finally reached, and she was forced to cast them aside in favor of her imminent exchange. 
In the moonlight, another woman who wore a loam's face waited for her on the other side of the lattice gate with tabbing feet and hooked cloak. Healer alone quietly slipped open the lock, ushering the woman inside while letting herself out. As soon as the two switched places, they each grabbed the gate bars separating them and pushed them shut before standing at one another for a beat too long, staring at another for a beat too long. The twin sounds of the words thank you were heard. The new alone sprinted back towards St. Mungo's, throwing her cloak in the signature bearded bag, in her signature beaded bag. The new alum stopped as her hands reached the back lift gate that would usher her back into the imminent ward. With no one the wiser, new alum did not have a moment to lose, but the sound arrested her momentarily. She'd heard something floating through the air that sounded a lot like a baby bird flapping broken wings in a futile survival attempt. It made the healer shiver, although the night was warm. Uh, very many kudos on this and 11 comments. Africa. Oh. Um. Uh, uh, it's. Okay, this person has. Um. This. This is the first time this has happened, actually. This person has a username that I'm not comfortable saying, so I just won't say it. Love it. Can't wait for more. I really like your writing style. Author responds, thank you so much. I really appreciate your taking the time to read and review. It means so much. Honey Sweetie Cutie says, I love it. It's so poetic and beautiful and reads like the beginning of a fairy tale. I love the mirror so much too. Uh, author responds, thank you so much. I, I am so appreciative that you took the time to check it out and your words mean so much as you are one of my favorite FF writers. Um, Sean Joel says, wow, who are the parents? Half-blood or muggle-born? Hmm. Author responds, thanks for reading. It's actually something much stranger. I hope you continue reading. JW84 says, oh, I love a mystery. Is he a clone? One of many? Is he an ancestor brought back from the dead? That's about as strange as my mind can stretch at the min at the at midnight, sorry. <laughs> I really enjoy forgetting, says, all of your imagery is so good. I'm already hooked. Fantastic first chapter. Also, lol at geese with top hats. Author responds, okay, so you and I basically have sister screen names, lol. I'm so glad you took the first, took the time to check it out. Thank you so much. I really like, I really tried to make it an enjoyable read. And author responds, we do, don't we? Mine's a reference to a weird movie from the 80s, True Stories. Highly recommend if you like weird movies. Okay. All right, our next one is um, the very last result, which is number 20. There is a light that never goes out by Pomme de Plum. Um, this is a mature rating, F slash M. And it is a Harry Potter fic. Okay, October 31st, 2004. It was just after midnight when, when Lily felt James slide into bed. He made almost no sound, probably out of fear of waking her. 
The feel of his weight brought her comfort, even if he wasn't actually touching her. James, she said, almost as if she were answering a question. Did I wake you? I'm sorry, James apologized. No, Lily said, and scooted her body over to James, craving his warmth. Lily laid her head on James' bare chest. His skin felt hot against her cheek, and she could hear the rhythmic thudding of his heart. She slid her hand down to his belly, lightly stroking the dark, fuzzy hairs that graced it. James put an arm around her back and squeezed her tightly. Then she felt as he kissed the top of her head. Lily felt warm all over and pulled a little closer, just wanting to melt into him with comfort. For a moment, everything was still and quiet. Harry was soundly asleep in his room, and Lily had a sudden notion. Lily slid her hand a bit further south on James' torso. Oh, God. Uh, um, yep. Redacted. Redacted. Suddenly, she felt a sudden knotted pain in her foot, halting all her actions. Ow, shit, Lily whispered, gritting her teeth. You okay? James whispered back, sounding worried. Foot cramp, bloody hell, Lily groaned. Lily tried to push the pain out of her mind, though she could barely uncurl her toes and went back to what she had been doing before. It wasn't easy to refocus herself, but these things happened, she thought. Pushing through and refocusing, she reached the desired point, which left James little reason to hold any on any longer. She collapsed onto him. She wanted desperately to fall asleep, but she really needed to pee and clean herself up. She hopped off the bed and ran off to the loo. By the time she was back, James was softly snoring. Lily couldn't even be bothered to locate her knickers. She slid back into bed and let the darkness carry her away. Lily was feeding Harry when James woke up. He loved the way her face scrunched up when she told Harry the airplane was coming into the hangar and their son laughed and ate the food off the spoon. James walked around behind them and kissed them both on the back of the head. Dad, Harry called out. James made some tea and made himself and Lily breakfast. There was no protocol for these things. They just knew how to navigate mornings. You spend enough time around a person, and they start to become part of you. You learn how to do things, and you learn to accommodate and accentuate them. James served breakfast, and they ate while the telly played a kid's show for Harry in the background. James wondered if they should have made plans for that night. He loved Halloween but it was so rare that they had a family night. Lils, maybe we should go out tonight. We could go to the cinema, James said. Lily bit into her toast and shrugged. I already told Remus we didn't want to do anything. I'll feel like an arse if we go out now, Lily said. Remus will get over it. We don't have to see something scary. Shark Tale is out, James said with a grin. Lily looked over at Harry and nodded. All right, for Harry. It's the anniversary of when he was conceived anyway, Lily said. Lily didn't even know why they had taken their car to go to the cinema. James loved the bloody thing. He was always going on about wanting to travel to America and go on a road trip across it. He had friends on the internet who had turned him onto the idea. Maybe someday, Lily thought. 
Once they got back to the car, Lily strapped their son, who was sleeping, into the car seat and gave him a kiss on the head. She got in on the passenger side while James turned on the stereo. Park Life by Blur was in the CD player. Lily was amazed that after all this time, James hadn't tired of her Blur obsession. Lily yawned as James began to drive. It was far too late for Harry to be out, but by the time they left the restaurant, only the late showing was left. She wasn't sure who wanted to see a kid's film so late. They did, she supposed, smiling privately to herself. I have to be up in six hours for work, Lily said. I'm sorry, James said. It's fine. The movie was cute. Harry seemed to like it. Before he fell asleep, anyhow, Lily said. Traffic was slow, and Lily struggled to remain awake. She yawned again, and James reached over and patted her shoulder affectionately. Hang on, Lils. We're nearly there, James said, and continued to drive. Very many kudos and three comments. Homos and Homies says, no. Woofy Word Weaver says, wow, absolutely lovely snapshots and totally heartbreaking. As you know, what's going to happen? Absolutely adore this. And then author responds, thanks. I didn't want to do something that was like really overwrought and dramatic. Okay. Well, well, well. We've, um... We've, what is it, crossed a river, we've climbed a mountain, we've crossed a river, we're almost there. It's uh, number 18, everybody. It's almost there by writing like I'll die. Wow, that was terrible. Um, this is not rated, um, and the fandom is Miraculous Ladybug, that children's TV show that I explained earlier. And uh, in the tags, it has black characters, period, typical racism, and just racism. Now, this isn't terribly long, so here we go. Uh, Author's notes, everyone's favorite hacker girl's backstory. I've decided to post more recommencer lore because I wanna. Since the day before she was born, no, sorry, since the day she was born, she was told the same thing. Be grateful for what you got. Her teachers said it. Her aunts said it. Everyone said it. They didn't really mean that, of course. Ashley had learned from a young age that not many people said what they meant. She had asked for a new toy because hers was broken, or an extra helping of food, and they said that they didn't actually want her to be grateful. They wanted her to shut up. They didn't want to spend extra expenses on her. They didn't think she knew, but she had ears, and her aunts talked loud to her papa. She knew she wasn't wanted, an accident between her father and a woman who didn't have the gall to tell him she was pregnant until little Ashley was found on the doorstep. Her aunt said that Ashley wasn't his responsibility, that he didn't need to take care of her. Dump her, they said. Dump it, they said more often. Her papa didn't. He loved her. He cradled her and fed her and reared her. In between double shifts, he worked hard to give her what she needed and what she wanted. Even as she grew into a young girl with two curly hair, two dark skin, 
who held her tongue and was determined not to bother anyone. He wormed the truth out of her, hours on the internet, and eventually reaching out to a co-worker, her father learned to braid her fine black hair into cornrows with beads and charms. Triple shifts for months and a, and a winter with a sore back, and Ashley had her fir very first computer. Her aunt sneered at the gifts she got, at the care she got. They thought she didn't deserve it. They thought their brother should take care of them. Not a bastard child. For every sneer, every nasal, be grateful for what you got. Her father instead smiled kindly with a face too wrinkled for his age. If you don't like it, change it, he told her. She liked those words better. As his health deteriorated, Ashley took his care upon herself. She didn't trust her aunts, didn't trust the way they tried to talk about his will, tried to get the power of attorney over him, over her. He didn't trust them either. Ashley was 12 when she legally became a ward of the state, her father's last gift to her. She was given a stipend of money each month by the, by the bank from her father's saved expenses. She moved into a home for children with all her gifts carefully tucked within her suitcases. Papa left her with the best life her possibility could. She was financially stable. She was safe from her aunts. She was free to make her own choices. She didn't like it, though. Her aunts may have might have told her to be grateful for what she had, but Ashley preferred her father's advice. She didn't like it, so she would change it. She studied hard in public school and took careful care of her computer. She learned everything she could in school and even more online, her fingers finding hidden information with the input of a code and a few work workarounds. She lied about her age, did work as a programmer, fixed bugs, rewrite, rewrote coding, made computers work again. As she grew her skills expanding, sorry, as she grew, her skills expanded and she continued to change things for herself. Maybe it wasn't totally legal at times. Maybe she was supposed to wait until she was 16 to earn money because of some child labor law, but she didn't like that, so she changed it. It wasn't always quite successful, like a wardrobe of clothes. She changed herself often, finding herself often disliking herself. She straightened her hair, then dyed it. She acted cool, then acted shy. She shed personas like a snake shed skins, leaving behind periods of her life in her eternal hunt for a life she could live, she could like forever. Then she got caught. She was faced with time in, in juvie for pirating, of, of all things. She knew it was because her skin was darker than most. Her papa might have been white, but she didn't take after him enough to pass as a white girl. Her nose was too big, her hair too curly, and her skin too brown. She didn't like this, not one bit, so she changed it. Luckily, she'd done anonymous work for the law more times than she could count. In technical terms, she was pretty much a junior detective. Oh, sorry. My voice cracked a little bit. She was pretty much a junior detective, and in revealing herself as the one who had gotten so many criminals captured, she changed the course of, of law. It was at a cost, though. The pale white cops went ruddy red at realizing a black girl was the one they'd been working with for years. The sneer she'd gotten from her aunt seemed trivial compared to the entire chalk-white law enforcement 
and the audience of the white loving fox news watching her every move with disdain. In saving herself from, from prison, she'd gotten herself marked as a hoodlum, a punk, a hood rat, whatever the recent um, euphemism was for the word they really wanted to say. Things seemed dank and dark, and though she didn't like it, she didn't know if anyone could change it. For once, she was forced to acknowledge that she was not invincible. Far from it, she was barely a teenager, without a family to watch after her, without people to mourn her if she died. She was smart and she was ambitious, but she was just one girl, in a world that wouldn't bat an eye if she got shot a couple dozen times for nothing but her skin tone. Then she caught a wisp of hope, because the judge on her case was the same. She was a tall woman with curly black hair and a severe bun. She had a big nose and defined lips, and her skin was dark like Ashley's. She'd, ha she'd asked Ashley to stay after the trial. Where are your parents? Judge Carter asked her. Ashley tried her best not to shake. My papa died when I was young, ma'am. I never met my mother. Any other relatives? My aunts wanted Papa's money, so he made sure to never end. I never ended up in their hands when he was dying. She tried hard to keep her voice steady. You're barely a teenager. You're not even 13, and you've not only tracked down serial killers through their digital trail, but you were almost thrown in the slammer for pirating a superhero movie not even an hour ago, Judge Carter said. It wasn't a question but a statement of shock and awe. Ashley mumbled, a yes, ma'am, anyway. Judge Carter sighed. Hun, you are brilliant. I have seen your work. I have run trials using your evidence. You don't deserve any of this. Ashley barely held back tears. It was the first time an adult besides her father had ever said that she was brilliant. It was the first time ever that an adult had truly acknowledged what she'd been through. This was the first time she, had, she hadn't been told to be grateful or to take action. Instead, she was simply told that it wasn't right what she was that she was in the situation in the first place. Maybe Ashley still carried her father's words close to, to her heart, but this, she needed to hear this. She needed to hear it for years. I'm not going to let people keep stepping on you, hun. You deserve better. Unfortunately, I can't do anything directly because of my position as judge. But I have a friend who would love to meet you, Carter smiled, and Ashley did her best to smile too. The woman was named Colette Des Desrosiers, and she was French. Ashley wasn't sure what she expected, but she didn't expect a sturdy woman in riding boots and a dark suit to come marching in with all the forms already filed, filled in to take in Ashley. Ashley had never met someone from France. In this tiny town, in this tiny nowhere town, you might get white people bragging that they were some fraction of French, but no one who'd actually set foot in the country. She had to admit she was a little nervous. The police couldn't stop Desrosiers in her quest, though. The woman powered through their resistance like a stallion. Ashley Ch Campbell, Campbell would be serving her sentence in France as a ward of Miss Colette Desrosiers. Improving her skills as a programmer and coder in the Rosenhart Academy of Arts and Technologies. Ashley still wasn't sure what to think. It almost felt like all her change had been for nothing, that some white woman had come and rescued her. Then Desrosiers spoke to her for the first time.
She asked her questions to know, sorry, she asked her questions, wanted to know about her, looked at, at all she had accomplished, all she had changed about her life. Disrociers wanted to know everything, and Ashley was just too weak and broke down, revealing all the worries she'd, he- sh- oof, she'd hidden for so long, even the recent ones. Disrociers wasn't her... Sorry. Disrociers told her to her face that she had earned this opportunity to study. She had talent and she had worked hard to get it, to improve it, to hone it. Disrociers didn't did not rescue her. She simply unlocked a door that was unfairly locked. The journey to that door had been all Ash had been all Ashley. And through the door it would still be up to Ashley. Only now she had guidance. And through that door she would find so many wonderful things. She would find a scorned Italian so much like her, find friends who cared for her truly, find superheroes sprinting through her city. She found a girl, small and meek, who reminded Ashley painfully of the hopelessness she felt when she had was when she was escaped when she was escaped jail time. When she had escaped jail time? But everything still seemed bleak. Judge Carter had helped her then. She had changed Ashley's future because the good judge didn't like where it was going. Ashley took Marionette's bleak future into her hands, and she changed it simply by being herself. Let's be best friends, okay? The black girl smiled happily, holding pale hands in hers. Marionette smiled and nodded. Sure, let's be friends. This has a good amount of kudos on it and zero comments. Wow, what a journey we've been on. We went through Suicide Squad Town, straight into Spider-Manville, over to Harry Potter um, Court, and then again into an offshoot of Harry Potter uh, Station, and then um, took a grinding halt into miraculous Ladybug territory. Wow, that was awful. Um, I hope you enjoyed this. Um, just, just to, um, just to circle back. Um, you know, this isn't this isn't going to be the most poignant um, commentary here um, about uh, black experiences and all that. It's not going to be anything groundbreaking. It's not necessarily going to be anything um like that at all um but i wanted to give it a shot i wanted to see what was out there and um i don't know maybe you found some stories that you like and want to continue reading or uh you found an author that you like um whatever uh this is all to celebrate um black people's existence and history so yeah that's it